0: Welcome in everybody to another episode of the Sports Plus Podcast. I'm Corey Miller. We got a full house in here today. Hannah Yates, Andy Muller, and Frank Cusimano. Got a lot to get to today. Let's start with the Blues and a lot of blues stuff today. Uh, just uh, an hour or so ago, we found out Troy Brower got his visa squared away. Finally, he's in the lineup tonight in Nashville. Officially a member of the active roster. I think this is how I'm not, this is how I thought it was going to shake out. You hear McGinn and Brower coming in. You need the depth but I think we all kind of thought Brower was going to get the nod over McGinn if they only kept one guy around, and that's exactly what happened.
1: Right, I definitely agree with that. I mean, just based on the past, obviously, there was a lot of excitement surrounding Brouwer uh, coming back with the opportunity to come back to St. Louis after his game-winning goal in Game 7 in the 2016 playoffs. So I think that was a huge factor is really his size, his shot, his speed. He just looked a lot better um, compared to McGinn. And I think he adds that veteran presence that the Blues are looking for in the lineup right now.
2: And he's got a little bit of a, you know uh, an experience with wearing the Blue Note. Yeah. And- uh, you know, I think that's certainly probably playing. He looked There's to be in great famili- shape. Familiarity with him.
3: I and mean, he's Pat Maroon at $750,000. Yeah. Stays in front of the net, has scored big goals, 181 in his career. Well, Productive last year, great in the locker room. He's Pat Maroon.
0: Here's a question that I was just, it's not on here, but I was just thinking. Do you think the Blues are regretting not trying to bring Pat back a little more now with all the injuries? I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but... You think they probably wish they had him now? Oh, I'm sure
2: they did. But didn't they? Didn't they have cap numbers against him though? Yeah, they really it would have been tough back?
0: to bring him back. But I'm sure they wish they had him now. But the addition of Brower comes with the subtraction of Clem Costin, who I think fans probably wanted to see a little more of him. Four games, only got in about eight minutes a game. He had a fantastic goal on Saturday that was really fun to watch. It was fun to watch him celebrate. Because he was trying to hide his smile on the bench, but he just couldn't do it. He was so excited. But I think this was always the plan. Just get him up, get him a taste. You see this with young guys all the time. Just get him a taste and then uh, send him back down so he can play more often and hone his skills more. But uh, he showed sometimes just that big body presence he can have when he really... Gets into it and the just lethal shot he has too. So I think he excited a lot of people, but I was hoping to see him a little more honestly myself. And
2: you will; it won't be that yeah. much longer. But I think all along he was the bridge to, to Troy Brower when he got uh, got past the Joaquin Andrew syndrome of having visa problems every spring. <laughs>
1: Right. No, definitely. I think the way Craig Berube put it is just an experienced league. You have to play your experienced players and you really have to work people like Clem Kostin into the lineup instead of just throwing him a bunch of top minutes the way he was used to in the AHL, but he needs to see the ice every day to keep developing his game. If he doesn't play a simple game in the NHL, then it wasn't going to work. And I think that he did kind of simplify that game down, and that's why you were able to see him get that goal and really just get in on some heavy shifts. And
3: who knows what it'll do for Zach Sanford's psyche, that he sees this big Russian up close and personal who's got his skill, maybe even a little more, maybe even a little bit more speed. And what that will do for Zach Sanford in terms of motivation and a sense of desperation.
0: If Sanford has a few more games like he had against the Flames, he'll be in good shape. We'll Man, he was it. great. It, it's uh, really, and
1: that's the thing. It's hit or miss. You yeah. don't know what Zach Sanford you're going to get on which night, and so hopefully having that competitive edge there, knowing hopefully. that he may not start every game, could add a little fire under him.
0: Blues also recalled uh, Nathan Walker. Kind of a cool story. I mean, I don't. we don't know how much he'll play. First Australian in the NHL with the Capitals uh, a few years back, but he was born in Wales. But I guess he's an Australian, Australia citizen, so he's the first Australian ever in the NHL. Yeah. He's lighting up the a- AHL. Yeah, he's got 12, 12 goals, goals, 10 yeah. assists. He won't
3: get a second chance to make a first impression. I mean, he has got to be in those little shifts when he does get his chance. Great. And if he's not, he's going right back to San Antonio.
1: Yeah. 100%. I think the thing Craig Berube will be looking at as well is how hard is he getting onto the forecheck? How hard is he on the puck? Those are the little things because he's not going to be a top-line guy. This is a guy probably a third-line guy somewhere that they can just fill that plug, so they're going to look for that the way they did when McEachern came up. But he's 25 years old. He has some experience under his belt, so he could add that edge too.
0: Uh, not great news here. Robert Bortuzzo, if everybody saw what happened on Saturday night, he suspended out four games for cross-checking Victor Ardvidsson, uh here against Nashville. Arvidsson's out for at least a month, maybe more. I, I mean, listen, I love Robert Bortuzzo, and I think he's a very needed piece uh, on this team, especially with Pat Maroon not here anymore. He's one of the few guys that kind of scares you out there, and I think you need that still even though the NHL's kind of getting away from that i think you still need a guy like bortuzzo and he was playing really well he's out now and this is a pattern uh, he has a cross checking issue there's this thread on twitter kind of documenting all the times he's over just gone over over and above what you can't do on the ice and usually it's after he thinks somebody's embellished a hit and then he goes and he goes back for some more jabs that are they're dangerous and this one was pretty dangerous too it did not look good Uh, everybody on Twitter wants more more games but four games is pretty stiff in the NHL at least I think it is isn't it
1: I think it definitely is and I mean when you're a third time offender this is what's going to happen he had a hefty fine too and rightfully so I think that Robert Bortuzzo is someone that Berube wants in the lineup he finally solidified his spot a little bit after at least four games and so he's getting back into that rotation and then he does something like this and we've seen stupid penalties we've seen multiple blues do this but when it's a physical act like this this was something that reminded me a couple occasions you saw Joel Emmonson do something similar and might not be a double, you know, yeah. cross check to the back, but it's something where Ruby doesn't like that. And I think this is the way that you have to handle it in this league.
2: You know, I, I think that uh, I, I hate to think of the idea of me crawling into somebody's head. First of all, I don't have a psychology degree, but
0: it could have fooled me. <laughs>
2: But
3: you watched uh, Fraser Crane. <laughs> well, that counts. Yeah, so I think – and
2: I stayed in the Holiday Inn last night, uh, Holiday Inn Express. Anyway, I, I think that the whole idea with Bortuzzo is that uh, he does kind of give the, uh, the Blues that sort of edge whenever they need that physical presence. And he was really good in the playoffs when they put him in last year, but I think sort of that aspect of, you know, if I do something stupid, I'm going to cost the team, you know, a game or two in the playoffs, so I'm not going to do that. Mm. So you kind of had that self-imposed leash, maybe. Yeah. You know, whereas in the regular season, that's eh, it's 82 games. and I'll you give this kind guy of, an extra. <laughs> you, give, you, give, you, know, you you kind of give your emotions, uh, you know, um, uh, take the leash off a little
0: bit. It is know. a bad look, too. It's, it is a bad it's, look. It looked like a rough one. Okay, let's let's look Boo's bigger picture a little bit. We're a little over a quarter of the way through the season, 14-5-5, second most points in the Western Conference. I think it's officially time to say there's no Stanley Cup hangover. I think we're to the point where that's all out the window and uh, this team is still rolling. I mean, it hasn't been pretty. That's putting it a bit mildly. Injuries and, I mean, a lot of the games have been really ugly and they've shot themselves in the foot. But, I mean, this is still as good a team as we saw in May and June. But
2: can we kind of shift the focus now as opposed to, okay, there's no hangover. It's not hitting us at the first part of the season will they have enough gas at the end of the season?
1: Right, and I that, think that's the biggest factor that's going to come into play, and I think what's helpful is a big component that got them to the Stanley Cup Final last year was because they had so many fresh legs. They have younger players, and that's the big thing that even Troy Brower mentioned. This is a similar style of play to when they made it to the Western Conference Finals when he was here. They played that gritty style. You had a David Backus out well, there that leading wore the way, out. right? But you had a lot <laughs> of older right. players on that team, so I think that's the difference, and that's what's carrying them to the point of where they are right now, despite the injuries.
3: Yeah, everybody on the roster is either in their prime or approaching their prime, so I don't think fatigue is going to be a factor. I mean, there's a, a couple of, you know, exceptions to the rule, but this is a hockey team that's built for the for the postseason, and they'll they'll be just fine.
0: Last Blues related note here. I know this is kind of a controversial uh, topic. What did we all think of the 90s throwback uh, day against the Flames? I'll say this. Here's what I mean. I understand they're the blues. There should probably be no red in any uniform they ever wear. I get that. Um, But I think that trumpet logo that they they had on the shoulders here, that's one of my favorite logos Mm -hmm. of all time. So anytime they can work that in. I'm game. Did you guys like
1: it? I vote make it the full-time uniform. That's wow. where I'm at with this. That's where I'm at with this team. That's where I'm at with this I uniform. T- I mean, they won. Time. They won every five to nothing wearing them. Everyday so. uniform.
2: Well, all right, you millennials. <laughs> uh, I lived through that era before, and I was I, I was not a big fan. You know, that's a very '90s-ish kind of uniform. If you want to wear it as a novelty, I'm okay with it. I don't want to see it every
0: night though. They're gonna make a lot of money off them. I'll tell you that. Oh, yes, yeah. they will. Yeah. Bennington though. Bennington stole the show with his whole Cujo-inspired. Uh, I like it. And if yeah, he's got pl- I mean, one. if that's going to make him play better, he needs to wear that every time. Okay, let's move on from the Blues here. We'll go to uh, some some more great news. Mizzou football. Oh, actually, we do have good news. They scored a touchdown on Saturday. That's better than we had uh, normally seen from them. But that's about where the good news stops. Losing their fifth game in a row, 5-6. and six. This is a team we thought we were gonna have eight wins, easily nine, probably, hopefully ten, and now five, maybe six. Uh, just, I'm running out of things to say. I didn't watch a single second of the game. They've they've turned me off. <laughs> wow. So bad. I didn't watch any of it. Um, I'm
1: actually shocked by that.
0: Well, I was in my defense. I was at the Blues game and I couldn't really watch it. Um, did
1: you pay for your seats? I did. About that. I
0: paid for my <laughs> seats.
3: <laughs> All right, so on Mizzou.
0: Yeah, well, I'm and, interested. Because you, you did a Barry Odom thing last week. So yeah, where and, do you think he sits now?
3: Barry's defense, he lost his best defensive player in Kale Garrett. His best offensive player has been a dramatic disappointment in Albert O. And then the guy who was supposed to be the leader of his offense, his quarterback, Kelly Bryant, has been sacrificed or been compromised physically the entire season. So those are the excuses. But at the end of the day, at the end of the season, if they're 6-6 six and six and they had, you know, probably 32,000 in their last home game, it's going to be a really tough decision for Jim Stark.
0: Well, those would be good excuses against Georgia and Florida, but you look back on those, I mean, they can't lose, though. It just can't happen. Uh, and. You've talked about this a lot. It's a $2.2 million buyout for Barry Odom. Right. I don't not see anybody. Who's who's going to pay that?
3: Well, it's not much in terms of buyouts. Yeah. Let's face it, it's it's nothing. But you have, you have to wonder who's the booster in Columbia, Missouri, who will not only pay for that, but will pay for the buyout of the coach coming in, and then will pay for a huge contract for that coach coming in. So yeah. I think there's really a realistic chance, and I talked to a guy real close to the program about three hours ago, that if he wins this game and he's six and six, they give him another year. I well, think there's a that real chance that would surprise at all.
1: I think that one of the biggest problems, like you talk about, how well this player didn't do well here. You know, the best player in offense – it shouldn't just come down to one player the way that it has to and I think that comes down to g- recruiting as well and you look at these situations and really just the pipelines that Mizzou has had in the past have kind of died off a little bit and if you have players like Antonio Doyle Luther North who are in-state guys who are decommitting from the program before they even start to yeah. fall apart earlier this season that's where the issues come into play if you can't win your in-state guys then you're not going to win a bunch of guys who are you know higher star players out of state as well it's just it's a tough situation right now
2: it seems to me that there's just this team has not shown a lot of cohesion this year and you know like it or not that kind of falls onto coaching yeah Um, but before you fire the head coach, there's always going to be a second. Oh, yeah. You know, let's change the staff and see if that does well, a yeah, good. Well, do if they do, if he first? keeps his
3: job, the offensive coordinator is gone. The special teams coach is gone. He'd have to clean house. And that, I'm sure Jim Stork would tell him that. You get another year, but you're cleaning house with some of these guys. Not the defense. Defense has been okay.
0: So 38 points they were averaging for their, through their first six games. In their last five, they've averaged 9.4. Uh, Derek Dooley called it football hell. Uh that seems about right. He
1: doesn't hold back.
0: <laughs> he doesn't. He's a good soundbite, so if they let him go, I would be kind of I, upset. I, I would <laughs> be disappointed that he to will be I forward to soundbites
1: gone. each yeah. week.
0: So we're still waiting on the NCAA. If Mizzou does get their sixth win against Arkansas, does they, do we even care?
3: Maybe the NCAA knows and <laughs> anticipated this. You know, we really don't have to make a ruling on this because
2: it's going to be a moot point. We don't have to say anything <laughs> until we have to say something. So, you know, hence the silence, maybe. I don't know. <sighs>
0: I, I tell you, I won't be watching a Mizzou Independence Bowl game on Christmas <laughs> or something. So I don't really care if they're go going I to have, Shreveport yeah. to follow them. Yeah,
1: it's going to be a cold bowl <sighs> game. Just no drama whatsoever.
0: All right, so bad news there. Let's let's go. I think this will get everybody a little excited. Uh, one of the most enjoyable pieces of reading I've had in a long time uh, from ESPN a few days ago from Seth Wickersham and Don Vanatta at ESPN. Uh, about the Rams and Chargers ugly relationship Frank's talking about it a lot on the radio we're gonna have something that we're recording this on uh what's today Monday have something more tonight a pretty great quote Frank got on the radio from Vanada uh tonight at 10 but I just had a big grin reading this whole thing so let's touch on it briefly it, it just confirmed how over budget the stadium's gonna be and how much Stan is paying uh, how much Stan and Dean Spanos hate each other, hate working together, which we already knew, but this just outlined it even more. Um, how much Jerry Jones is pulling the strings behind the scenes, which we figured that too, but this just and raking in even more. Oh money. yes, <laughs> because he's contracting all the construction for it. What else? What else yeah. do I got here? The amazing
3: it, thing is the cost, though. Yes, it was supposed to be 1.78 billion. And now it could be six. And if Stan loses two billion dollars in the lawsuit, eight billion dollars. I mean, well, is let's get to, the,
0: to let's... ask his wife for a loan. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, good. How do you let's get to the anything? let's get to the lawsuits because that was the best part. That whole uh, section of the article because it looks like they were trying to belittle everything, and they just messed up. And my favorite part was this quote here: uh, "Discovery." During one of the Rams lawsuits here turned up a damning email from the Carson Project official outlining to STL authorities all the way the Rams had violated the league's relocation policy, providing a, a blueprint for the lawsuit. And the judge called out the Rams lawyer in court and just kind of gave away the whole thing, saying how this was just a big sham and it violated the relocation policy. Policy. And, and I think that's what's going to come down to. And the Rams are going to look really silly because it didn't go to arbitration. This is all going to play out in front of everybody. And the Rams and the NFL could be on the hook for a huge bill.
2: Well, and not only that, but the other owners as well. Yeah.
3: yeah,
0: And that's... And and that's
2: <laughs>
3: $35 million apiece. Yeah.
2: And, and I think the thing that's interesting in all this is the fact that the owners haven't really... You know, certainly according to this article, which was great reporting... The the other owners haven't really talked about it. Well, now they're they're starting to get a little nervous, and I think maybe they should. They and should. So, you know, I I guess there's going to have to be some talk of a, of a settlement here because they don't really want Goodell, Cronky, Demoff, and whatever to have to publicly humiliate oh my themselves gosh, that on the would witness. Be so great. Although so that would be business? the thing I'm wanting the most.
3: Uh. Yeah, Spanos is providing information for the St. Louis contingency on this. He's going to help the lawsuit, which well, is amazing.
2: You, you know, you mentioned that earlier about the, the spanos cronky relationship. To me, it seems like, okay, here's a billionaire who does not want to have to be told what to do by somebody else, yeah. right? So, yeah, he was in a bad position right from the right from the get-go when he agreed to that.
0: So this is great. It's only going to get better. Uh, and, and last thing for this episode, Frank, I know you were at the Musials uh, on Saturday a lot of great storytelling. Just what was your favorite moment from that night? Because it's a great night. Mike well, does a great job, and everybody there.
3: Yeah, and Mark Schreiber and Frank Fiverrito, too. Um, the takeaway is that there are so many unbelievable stories in sports, uh, whether it's a little boy falling, falling down and the boy ahead of him in the race getting up or getting back to him, picking him up, and denying himself a chance to win. I think Chris Kerber stole the show with his incredible act of kindness towards John Kelly. Bart Connor put it best at the end. He said, "This is not only the best sports awards show I've ever been a part of. This is the best award show I've ever been a part of." His wife Nadia Comaneci was crying throughout the show, which lasted two and a half. They hours. hand out
0: tissues beforehand, yeah. don't they? She
3: told one quick story: in uh, in Montreal in '76 when she got the 10. The scoreboard was incapable of putting up the 10. So she looked up after she would finished, and all it was on the scoreboard was a one. So what? <laughs> and then she realized it was supposed to be a ten.
0: I Mike showed us Andy and I that uh, Chris Davis story before it aired. Uh, man, that's fantastic. That was a great story too. So I will have to watch all of them. It's just a great event.
2: It, you know, it, it it just it it's just a soul cleansing evening. Yeah. And it kind of makes you think that, you know, we're all riding this hand car to hell. But but the Museal Awards are kind of a handbrake that, well, maybe we won't get there quite as fast as, as we
0: think we will That's a good way of putting it. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us on this episode of the Sports Plus Podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you get your podcasts.